What's black and white and red all over? Who cares? My wife took the kids. Welcome to Candare. Hi, this is Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and co-creator of the new series Drawing Blood. You're listening to me on Canned Air. Welcome to another episode of Candare, a tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jake Runyon. And joining us today to talk about his comic, Unit 44. Jake, I really think you're going to enjoy this oh, one. Oh, that's a safe bet. Yeah. Uh, Wes Loker, thanks for being with us today, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. We're going to have a fun time today. I uh, think keeping so. Keeping in the theme of Christmas. Yeah. Another, uh, another retro topic we're going to dive back into is uh, Christmas gifts. Some of our favorite Christmas gifts from over the years. It can be anything you want. Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> you can react. Sweet. <laughs> that sounds great, Jeremy. There we are. Uh, then in the comic vault, uh, you've got what do you got to talk about this well, week? I've got something interesting this week. Something that goes against most of my interests today. I want to talk about uh, a fun little video game I played, downloaded for free off of Steam. I'll I'll go into detail once the segment rolls around. Okay. All right. One of the things we'll be talking about there, and then we're going to turn our full attention over to Wes and talk about Unit Forty Four. But before we do that, Jake. Well, guys, it's that time again when I let you know that we're still on Twitter waiting for you to call like your grandparents rotting in that retirement home you sent them to. <laughs> Go ahead and check us out on Twitter at CandairPod and Instagram at Canned underscore Air. Our YouTube page is full of treats and growing every day. Oh, I just uploaded uh, the movie. Did you see it? That you did, yeah. Um, Go ahead and check out Journey, oh, I'm sorry, Voyage there to the is. Prehistoric Planet. What has once been described as an act of cinematic cannibalism uh, dubbed over and messed around with by yours truly. Yeah, that very much in the same vein as, as Mystery Science Theater. So if you're into that kind of thing, you'll probably dig this. I don't know, same way if you're into McDonald's, you'll probably like Burger King too. They're similar, but yeah. different. Legally different, that's the important thing. <laughs> very legally yeah. different. Also <laughs> check us out on society6.com forward slash Pod for some sweet merchandise, vinyl decals, t-shirts, etc. Uh, what am I missing, Jeremy? Patreon, my dear Ooh, friend. We are on Patreon. Only the most important part. Raising money to support our little... Uh, Drug our little, habit. <laughs> our little shack of a show we have here. But uh, we want it to be much bigger and better than it is and uh, be able to take on more projects than we are able to now. So if you're a listener of the show, if you like what we're doing, head over to uh, patreon.com forward slash Pod. There's going to be a link in the show notes for sure. And uh, show your support. Uh, it's just very, very month. low donations on there. Nothing big. And you get uh, exclusive content in return. Uh, we have a Christmas pod out there now, Patreon pod, where we give you alternatives to the Christmas songs that you're that bludgeoned with one. every yeah. year. Like, Baby, It's Cold Outside. Or, It's a Marshmallow World <laughs> in the World. Like, no one wants to hear that shit anymore. Surely the Canned Air Christmas mix is worth a dollar. The Canned Air Christmas playlist in itself is worth the donation. But uh, there's also the Canned Air Fantasy Fight on there oh, that yeah. you get as well. So Bracket-style tournament featuring yeah. some of our favorite fictional characters. Just a few of the things that you'll have privy to if you become a patron. So uh, I think that's it. So that let's uh, kick our, it off with yeah. this week's Retro Roundtable. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! 
guys christmas gifts uh, our favorite christmas gifts from over the years this was hard for me because on the show we've done this a time or two already but this this is your second this is just my second s- yeah, uh, holiday yeah, yeah. season so we talked about it once with you but i believe so let's start off with wes what is one of your all-time favorite christmas gifts Man, you know, my favorite thing about Christmas is that that was the time that I could finally rake in all of the cool action figures. So I I really, really counted on that. Like I had to finish out my X-Men collection one year. Um, Unfortunately, my parents couldn't find me a gambit. So I ended up getting the repaint that was one of the X-Men 2099 and it just wasn't the same. Yeah. But it was a good toy. It was a good toy. Are you talking Um, about the animated series toys or are you talking like the Marvel Heroes toys? I think it was more the animated series. It would have yeah. been back in kind of like the early 90s. Yeah. So, yes. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't picky. I was anything that kind of, um, you know, represented a superhero was cool in my book. And I don't even think that they all came from the same sets looking back now. It's like none of them seem to match. None of them are quite the same size. But when you're a kid, you don't care about that. No, but you, you do care about them being somewhat screen accurate. You know, I never understood like... Uh, you know, say a new Batman movie comes out. You have that first run of action figures that comes out that is just Batman, the Joker, uh, you know, Commissioner yeah, like, Gordon, oh, whatever great. other And then you get Batman with blast apart battle armor and more yeah. missile launcher. It's like, oh, I didn't realize. Winter weather Batman. Yeah, depleted uranium <laughs> rifle Batman. It's like, Subterranean Batman. <laughs> deep sea diving Batman. And. You know, if you want a Batman figure and that's all there is, I mean, the, you know, like the blue suits and the yellows yeah, and yeah. the crazy colors Covered they put on them, it's just like, techie I don't want plates. this. I just want the Batman. Make the Batman. They don't make the Batman. They make the weird man. They make the weird man, indeed. <laughs> well, that's also how I knew that I had way too many Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figures is when my family started giving me like... Home run Raphael, who was in like a sports jersey. And it's like, hey, I don't, I don't even like sports, but it's Raphael, so it's still kind of cool. So oh, you're just right like there with you, my friend. Ones and the, you know, the surfing Michelangelo or the, the undercover Donatello. It's like, who comes Oh, yes. Remember he had the little like a uh, human's face that would snap in over yeah. his? Oh, man. <laughs> those yeah, things were so fun. Like one of those pairs of glasses with the fake nose and the mustache attached. To say yes, it was. Oh. It was. Then there was the, uh, you said a surfer, Michelangelo. I had that dude too. Pizza yeah. chef Raphael. Oh, yeah. Probably. Yeah. There was like a whole like uh, rock star series of them. There was beach oh. fun ones. There was like he said the sports series. They all, like, each turtle would tackle a different sport, too. You know what I remember? Uh, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles action figure series. It was like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mechanized samurai exo yeah. armor. Yep. Those were insane. Yes, and they had that, like, uh, shiny metallic yeah, kind of finish yeah. on them. And, you know, I, I think I may have told this story once before on the show, so I'll make it quick. But okay. uh, I once asked for some of those for my birthday. Uh, instead, I got some Waterworld action figures. Oh, oh my no. god! And see, that's everybody's reaction. But that's to this insane. day, I'm the only person I know with a Dennis Hopper action figure. <laughs> so I'm calling it a win. Yeah, you know, I actually remember when those came out. I remember seeing those at like Walmart or something, and thinking like, who would ever want these? Because even when I was 
you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, I knew that Kevin Costner was not a good actor. <laughs> I feel like it's one of the things you learn right after walking and how to yeah. use the toilet is that Kevin Costner. I'm pretty sure I had a picture book that explained that he was a horrible <laughs> actor. You know, I, uh, I've i had this conversation with Brooke and specifically about uh, Kevin Costner before where, yeah, nowadays, I mean, you look at his stuff and it's pretty laughable, but I think film has come a long way in the past uh, 20 to 25 years. And what was passing as Oscar-worthy performances in the 90s, you know, it really isn't the same now. You know That's what I mean? true, yeah. And um, I think that kind of same thing happens with Kevin Costner, because, now mind you, aside from Field of Dreams, it's been a pretty uh, yeah. bad lineup of films. Everyone true. dogged on The Postman. I loved that movie just because I love that post-apocalypse uh, setting and Tom Petty was in it, so I was already, oh, I was already okay, sold, you, you know? So True. This is hardly an unbiased opinion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But um, when Waterworld came out, the very concept of it intrigued me. Oh, sure. But I never did see it. You weren't missing much, unless yeah. you really like water, and then it's like the best movie ever. Oh, let me tell well, you. as it turns out, I do. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> you one... need to see it then immediately. <laughs> Didn't he have, like, a little, like, machine that would recycle his own piss into drinking water? Yeah. That's one thing I do remember from, like, seeing a clip of it, like, on television or something. But anyway. It was a lot less laughable when it was in Dune, right? The idea that the still... Oh, you haven't seen Dune? No, I haven't. Wow, this has been a catastrophe start to finish. We should probably just stop and you should go watch all That's these movies point. and we'll resume in a couple weeks. We'll How about reconvene? you just wait for yeah. me right here and I'll just walk <laughs> back upstairs. And... You got a few hours on? You guys just talk amongst yourselves there. Alright, well for the record, I fuck, I love Dune. Alrighty. Movie, books, the games. I've heard it's good. It is. It's good. Uh, you know, some of the big things I always mention on past episodes, Teddy Ruxpin was sure. one of the biggest things I remember. Like the drumming hit, hit sticks. You know, oh, yeah. all that kind of stuff. But I started uh, for this, since we talked about it so many times, I did really sit and think and reach back for things I haven't mentioned. And, you know, I think almost everybody who has a parent who came up, you know, watching a Christmas story has had the, the gag pulled on them where you open all the gifts and you're just like, well, did Santa get you everything you wanted? Well, everything, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's that back, back there behind the tree? <laughs> you know, there, then, off in the distance. That that spark <laughs> of excitement, and then you go back there, and well, I had that pulled on me a few times, and the first time was truly magical because it was the the Christmas that Mario Three was first out. Oh, and all my friends had it, and I was dying for it. Opened all the gifts, it wasn't there, actually. Oh, no. But you know what was there? A <laughs> there was a different Nintendo game there. And it was a blue cartridge, completely blue, and it was all Bible-themed games. Oh, is this Bible Adventures? Yes, sir. It certainly oh, is. yes. Now, I, I've never played it, but I, I know... I actually wrote a book about it, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Now, yeah. <laughs> I... The, the disappointment that rushed through me to begin <laughs> with was like, you know, not only... Okay, I've got, I didn't get the Nintendo game I wanted... But it's not even a game that I can have my friends over to play or take to my friend's house. The first time I show this at my friend's house, like, what the fuck, dude? What uh, it's like finding out Santa's real, but he was, like, killed by a drunk driver 10 years ago. <laughs> right. But, you know, I, you know, I was always, I was looking at, you know, I was still being grateful for what I got. And so I was like, oh, at least I got a Nintendo game. And yeah. then at the very, like, well, what's that back there behind the tree? Was a second uh, game, and it was Mario 3. 
which was stellar. Mm. I mean, I couldn't have been more excited. Oh, yeah. Then a few years later, after Super Nintendo came out, you had the same game pulled on me. Now, I don't remember what game I had asked for that year, but it wasn't under the tree. And I was like, oh, it looks like there might be something else back there, way back there, if you go look. So I look, and there's a Nintendo-sized box and wrapping paper. I'm like, oh, shit, this is it. I tear it open. Batman Forever. Oh. Yeah. Now, I, I didn't know any better at the time, so I was like, well, it's not what I wanted, but I love Batman, you know? Yeah. And then, I played the heck out of it, though. I, the, the player versus player, like, Street Fighter kind of fighting was more fun than the actual game, but... Um, well, at least it's something. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I've, I'm sure so many... Have you ever had that done to you, either of you guys, where, like, oh, there's something hidden back I there? I had something kind of similar done where when I was very young, so it's it's kind of a vague memory. All I wanted, all I wanted in the world was one of those big, rechargeable, like, ride-in toddler monster trucks. Yes. Oh, yeah. As I recall, it was called, like, the Big Jake or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Conveniently named. Yeah. And, like, I was obsessed with it. It's all I thought about every second of every day. So Christmas rolled around. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to I'm gonna do everything. I'm going to go to the store and get groceries. I was a kid, so I was stupid. But, you know, I, I just there was a whole world of possibilities open to me. If only I had this one toy. And Christmas rolled around. And first off, there were, like, no boxes big enough to conceal this thing. So I'm like, eh, it's probably not going to happen. Whatever. The odds aren't looking good at that point. Yeah, yeah. But it's Christmas. I'm excited. You know, get some cool gifts. And my parents were like, hey, what's that outside? And there it is, like, charging, oh. ready to roll. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> just the, the adrenaline. God, I wish I could bottle one-tenth of that excitement. Yeah. I just, I'd have track lines all up and down my arms. Just like, I got to get some of that, some of that six-year-old Jake getting his monster truck feel. Something about a gift like that, you know, and it, you only get a few of them in your lifetime, but when you open them up, it's like oh, either something you. that you've just wanted so bad that you couldn't wait to get your hands on that you were expecting, or it's such a great gift that you had no idea was coming. Yeah. That you just feel like the surge and you're like, holy crap. Yeah. For me, that was the Nintendo 64. Was it? First time I got one. I remember seeing it and thinking, like, not... I, I couldn't believe it was mine. Yeah. Like, until then, all the game systems we had, they were my dad's. If I wanted to play with something, I needed permission, you know? Right. There, was a, there was a process that came with it. But the N64, that belonged to me. And I was like, oh, my God. I think I may have hyperventilated. I'm so really? Excited. Oh, yeah, dude. I still have it to this day. Like, I've maintained it throughout these years. I still have mine in the, uh, hooked up it. in the basement. It's and it still works, yeah. like, really well. You only have to beat it now and again and... <laughs> stays true. I got uh, I got that for my birthday. I got the Donkey Kong Country nice. or Donkey Kong sixty four version. So the console itself is like gr green and clear. Yeah, and it came with like the expansion slot. Yeah, and all that. Mm -hmm. yep, yep, yep. Man, that was a good console. Oh yeah, still is. Go play it now. We're back to you, Wes. Jeez, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't know about one that I got, but. I remember one that my a present that my sister got, and I, I don't know how old you guys are, but do you remember the Furby? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that's okay, what my so, sister got when I got the N sixty four. So that nice. was like. <laughs> so my, my sister, she desperately wanted one of these, and that's like that's the only thing that she asked for. She was a few years older than me, um, and so my my parents obliged her, and they got her one. And man, let me tell you, this Furby like terrorized us for the next couple of weeks. Like it, I don't know if it was defective or if it was broken, but man, that thing would just start talking in the middle of the night and scare the hell out of all of us. We would all wake up like, like somebody in the other room is genuinely talking. They're like, let's play a game. And at two o'clock in the morning. And I swear oh, that man. that thing just, 
was possessed by some creature. And so I think after about two weeks, the, the batteries came out and she never touched it again. So it wasn't my gift, but it was a, it was definitely a gift that kept on giving for a while. <laughs> and you can't trust the Furbies. I'm pretty sure no. each one contained like the heart of an orphan child. Charles Lee yeah, Ray couldn't yeah. find another Chucky doll to jump into. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Kind of yeah. like, do. They were weird. Yeah, that they were. Jake. Now, there was a time in my life where G.I. Joe was kind of like my religion. Oh, totally. Because it had everything. It had adventure. It was teaching me to be a young patriot, a mindless consumer of hyper-American things. (laughs) And I just just couldn't imagine a cooler scenario. And you might be getting the idea now that as I was a kid, I jumped between obsessions on a weekly basis. Sure. Shit, I still do. Right. There was nothing cooler in my mind than the idea of having, like, not just some G.I. Joe figures, but, like, a battleground Mm -hmm. in which a war could take place. And one year, I was extremely lucky that I I was given, like, a set of themed Christmas presents. My whole Christmas... that would be cool. Yeah, entailed uh, a G.I. Joe set, a big fortress, and vehicles of one faction to attack it, and, like, a complete set of... All these Cobra dudes and all the G.I. Joe dudes and all the helicopters and bases on opposite sides of a little battle mat. And uh, I was a recluse for months. I don't think I left the house until the following Christmas. Wow. That's a gold mine right there. Oh, it was so good. And the fortress, it had missile launchers that if you hit a panel just right, they would fire off like battle damage. It had some kind of big Gatling gun in the front. Crazy, crazy stuff. You remember the Mask Command Center at all? Uh, no. I don't I, even know if it was like a, what it was called. It probably wasn't called Command Center, but it was like a maybe just headquarters. It was like built into the side of like a volcano no, looking cool. thing, like a mountain. It was fairly big. Cool. But, you know, the mask figures were even smaller than G.I. Yeah. Joe. So the the place that was a lot smaller than anything G.I. Joe. But uh, it had this track around it that when you hit a button... The top of the volcano was like a ball would roll down this track and nice. like obliterate anything in its path, like in front of the base. Yeah. A little pyroclastic so flow in there. That was so <laughs> much fun, yeah. One of the most, uh, I don't want to say touching and sound sappy, but one of the most <laughs> heartfelt thank- gifts I've ever received. And this, it's, the gift itself really isn't anything. Religion was, uh, you know, very prominent in our household. So, I, you know, a lot of music wasn't allowed to come into the house. Included, you know, I I, got, I was lucky to get away with listening to Tom Petty. I remember I was listening to Tom Petty one day. He said the word "fuck" in one of his songs, and oh. that was it. Like it was gone. You've like done it, it now. It was taken from me. So, oh, no, um, you know, being in the '90s with Nirvana and all this Smashing Pumpkins coming sure. out, like the golden age. It's of... the epitome of evil. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> it was all taken from me because I had some before. You know, she knew what it was or whatever. My mother, I mean. But, um, you know, my dad was a guitar player, and he listened to music and stuff. And I think he could see, you know, that I was really into music and that, you know, I could benefit from maybe hearing some yeah. of this stuff. So he uh, he spearheaded, like, wrapping some of the gifts one year at Christmas, which I found kind of odd. Typically, you know, typically mom does that. Yeah. But like, um, whose dad even knows what's under the wrapping nine right. times out of ten? Right. So I get a package Christmas morning, and... It has my uh, mom's writing on it, you know, to Jeremy from Santa. I was, I was probably like junior <laughs> high or something. I don't remember. But you open it, and 
there was a shirt in it, like a like a dress shirt and dress pants, and you know the oh thanks, Sweet. thanks Santa, you know me, you got me down, <laughs> don't you? Well, I felt the box weight was kind of off, and I lifted the pants up, and underneath was uh, Nirvana, muddy from the Muddy Banks of uh, Wichita, I think it's pronounced oh, wow. album. And the Smashing Pumpkins Siamese Dream album. Score. That's a and I looked up and my dad just kind of gave me this look. <laughs> like, don't don't say anything. But it the was the like, knowing nod, you know, just sort of yes. There were just a few CDs, but I will never forget that. Sure. Like that is burnt in my memory. That was like so cool of him to do. That was pretty awesome. But anyway, not to get all sappy here. Who's next? One time, my uh, my parents got me an Erector set, and that taught me that I was never going to be an engineer. <laughs> That's an important lesson for anyone I, growing I up. I wasn't able to build a single thing. I swear, it just had IKEA directions stuffed inside of it. Oh man, yeah, I was I've always wanted an Erector set. I always had those. They were like translucent globe things that snapped together, and they had gears in them. Like you'd get a box, and one of those globes like had a little motor in it that was operated by yeah. a double A battery. Yeah. And then there was like all kinds of like little pulleys and gears that if you hook them together, you can make all these little cars and that ran around the room. <laughs> Can't remember what they were called. I remember cool. being kind of intimidated by the Erector sets, dude. I was like, I loved Lego when I was younger, and I, I guess I still like it. But uh, I remember the the Lego like Technic sets that would get into the mechanical stuff. Yeah. You put together like working vehicles rather than big fantastic scenes. Those always frightened me. I'm like, no, I'm not ready. Yeah. So like when I saw the Erector sets, I'm like, who's this for? I'm a child. You know, I had this very <laughs> low opinion of myself. Like, there's just no way in hell I could do that. <laughs> it was very difficult. I mean, first of all, like I'm the type of kid that you know, as soon as I I got the Legos out of the box. They went into the gigantic box of other Legos and any hope of actually putting that set together were gone. So you get me an Erector set that has like 10,000 tiny screws. Like that box is is shredded and gone within the first three days. So it was just like my parents coming into the room and stepping on like little screwdrivers and stuff. It was horrible. (laughs) I was the same way. I didn't have many Legos, but when I did acquire Legos, they all went into the same big bucket. You know, I was always very careful to put them together the way the instructions said, and they'd sit on my shelf for a little while. And then I, I don't know how long it took. But there would come a time I was like, okay, it's time they are assimilated, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> they get disassembled. Uh, same kind of thing. I only had a few, like, actual, like, complete sets of Legos. Other than that, I was just buying them, you know, like, random, like, buckets of them, rather. Mm. And um, it was just a matter of you set it up, and it inevitably gets destroyed. Oh, like, yeah. when you live in a house with yeah. animals and siblings, I mean, that shit is not going to last. It's so. impermanent. Lego was not created to, like, stand the test. Yeah. Of if it breaks within the first few weeks of putting it together, you're still hyped enough about it. You're like, okay, I'll, I'll just yeah. fix it really quick. But a couple like, of weeks. Right. That's a month into it, you're like, yeah. fuck that. I'm not yeah. doing that again. I want to make a spaceship now. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tear it down. You need, like, two of the 200 pieces you use to make it so you rip the whole thing apart. You know? Right, right. Um, you got another one? I, I think I'm tapped out. Here's another one that uh, I just want to get off really quick. I received one year for Christmas. Well, my sister and I both, everything we received for Christmas was nothing we asked for. <laughs> it was still cool stuff. Sure. But odd stuff, you know? Like, the coolest thing I got that uh, Christmas was that big Nerf Gatling gun thing I had Ooh, told yeah, you about. that was cool. But I'd never asked for a Nerf gun, never in my life. And I thought, where, where is this coming from? But the main gift was a typewriter. 
Oh, wow. That's what I said. Like, oh, wow. Uh, That's heavy. What do I do with this? You know, I mean, it's a lot com- of responsibility. Computers weren't in the house yet, yeah. so I mean, it, it wasn't like it was irrational to have a typewriter at the time. But and I used it for like school papers and just I dicked around on it. But um, I always wondered, like, why did they get a typewriter? Yeah. Years later, I found out why. I guess our whole Christmas had been sitting in layaway. At like a Walmart or something like that. I don't know. And they went on Christmas Eve day to pick it up. And it had all been taken, put away. Everything was gone. So they had to buy all of Christmas within a matter of like two hours before the place shut down. Before, So, you know, with that tragedy and the amount of time... Bravo! If you, you did a great job. Tell the difference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did a great job. If you're not telling people it was the worst Christmas ever, I think yeah, it's... I can't imagine the horror they must felt. I mean, oh, dude, Lord. But anyway, all right. Anyone else have any more gifts? I don't. All right. Well, so that's a good time stamp anyway, right there. I think it's time we move on. Um, there's always one gift that everyone should be receiving: a canned air T-shirt. If you're not receiving it, you should be giving it. Ideally, both. It's a give and take world, you know. You got if you want that can there T-shirt, maybe you get it by giving it to somebody, yeah. or you could just keep the one you, you bought give, for that person. We take. That's the, <laughs> it's a very simple dynamic. Maybe you know we were joking last week about it being you know like a like a jewelry store like Osterman's or every kiss begins with can. Every yeah, but there you go. maybe <laughs> maybe if we started some kind of can there jewelry line. Ooh, you think? What about? Imagine your lady wearing that little radio tower on a little gold chain around her neck. I bet she would feel like the prettiest woman in town. You will have done your job right, gentlemen. You'll see that smile on her face. Candare, I'm trying I can't to sell shit that doesn't even late, exist but... at this point. <laughs> Safe bet. We got T-shirts. We got stickers. We got mugs. Go buy our shit. We'll Society6.com forward slash Pod. Do it. They're good quality shirts. I'll yeah, vouch for. Them. I like them. But anyway, let's move past that right into the comic vault. Who would like to go first this week? I went first on the last one. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing it toward you guys. <laughs> I'll go ahead and uh, knock mine out first. All right. This is a huge deviation for Jake. Okay. I have been pretty outspoken in the fact that I'm not down with a lot of Japanese products and like cultural exports. True. Yeah. I'm not an anime guy. Me neither. I don't read manga. Me neither. It's just I don't know. I, it's I, not I a think part. there there are cultural elements that don't jive with me, so I, I can't really get into it. I understand why people like it, oh, but sure. it's just not for I, I can see the appeal, mm-hmm. but the things I lean toward are just different. Mm-hmm. And that being said, it wouldn't be fair to count them out as a tremendous cultural force. Certainly in uh in, in the video game world. And there is just this, beyond measure, the number of games out there that are like these visual novel dating sim type things. Oh, yeah. And they're not for me. I don't play them. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's just like, I don't care. It's like if if someone gave me, you know, a a treasure trove of these games, it'd be like to, to cop this from a famous comedian. It'd be like having a fortune in a currency that no longer exists. I wouldn't know what to do with it. It would be useless to me. But there's this one that uh, Steam suggested to me. It was free, of all things. My girlfriend and I sat down and downloaded it. It's a game wherein you're a young man 
who joins a literature club after school. Oh my God, they're all beautiful girls. I guess it's time to start romancing them. And so that's what you do. I hate the title, but I'll repeat it to you anyway. <laughs> they call it Doki Doki Literature Club. My understanding is that's a Japanese slang term for the sound your heart makes when it beats very quickly. And now I don't like these sorts of games, but uh, this one is uncommonly well put together okay. with interesting writing and some interesting emotional hooks that sort of get you invested. You sort of, you feel for these characters in a way that you don't often feel, or rather wouldn't expect to feel, for someone who's not real. And I think that's the dangerous part. That's what they're doing to you. Right, right. They're trying to give you that that high of a successful interaction, of a, of a romantic relationship, without the effort, or in fact the reality of it. But, uh, I'll leave it at this. Give it a try. It's free. Download it. Make some time, a couple hours. And if you know a person, a friend, real or otherwise, who's having a hard time, maybe feeling down, all you need to do is uh, remind them how much you care, and maybe that's all it takes to keep them afloat. Wow. Very uplifting. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Didn't expect that. Well, you know, I like to uh, deviate from the pattern of unrelenting horror. The pattern of Jake. Through. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. So check it out. I was I was waiting for something, but very cool. Yeah, you know, very uplifting. Might be worth a look. Awesome. I'm going to go outside your comfort zone. We're proud. Well, of you. you know, <laughs> our little boy's becoming a man. Okay. <laughs> He's romanced so many ladies. <laughs> He's my special boy. <laughs> All right, uh, I'll go next. The uh, comic I have this week is a web comic, actually. That um, uh, the writer uh, by the name of Tina Fine reached out to us uh, via email uh, just to show it to us and see if we might mention it. And I looked at it, and it is pretty darn interesting. I, never... I liked what I saw. Did I did show it to you? Didn't yeah, I? yeah, yeah. Very interesting uh, concept. I've never really seen anything like it, and I'm anxious to keep going. But. Um, the comic is called Off Girl, and um, I don't know if it's specifically a web comic. I think you might be able to buy prints of it, but it, you can definitely uh, read the first uh, three chapters uh, online for free at offgirl.com, and there's a fourth one on the way. But I'm just going to kind of give the Cliff Notes version. I don't like to get too in-depth when I talk about You've web said it comics. Before. It kind of feels unfair because they offer unfair. so much to you. They put so much work into it's these like things, not and fair to sit to here and be like, traffic, and then, yeah. and then, and then, this, you know, it's <laughs> and not then fair. it ends like this. Like, well, why do I got to read it? Now you said everything. Yeah. But in a nutshell, what this is about is there is a, a girl by the name of Julia Davenport who is afraid of a power or curse that she wields, where every time she orgasms. Men die. Oh, we've all been there, right? You know, yeah. right? Am I right? Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but um, so as a result, you know, she's very afraid of becoming aroused. And in turn, she's been taking pills to push it down and just fakes orgasms sure. when she is with somebody. But she has, uh, she lost her pills and she is now trying to frantically get to more pills before this happens again. Apparently, she's very easily aroused. You know, I guess there's some people it doesn't take too much with. Right. Like and, a light uh, switch. <laughs> very much so. Like, um, because she's just like, everywhere she goes, like she's walking down the street, there's some bare-chested honks hanging out. She's like, oh, I gotta go this way. Your uh, life is in danger. Pretty much. Put on a shirt, for Christ's sake. Just a trail of corpses wherever she goes. <laughs> 
Now there is, uh, she finally goes onto a subway where she stumbles over and a man lends his hand out to help her up. Apparently that's all it takes. Wow. She grabbed that hand what to be helped up she and she in. was whirled into an orgasm where she grabs the subway pool and starts grinding on it, really giving it all she has. And while into it, her eyes like turn black and this entity thing kind of comes out of her, passes through a, through, through a few guys that are on the subway. And comes back to her. Everyone it passed through dies, except for yeah. one guy. Oh. So, you know, it's more so than just she's having, you know, earth-shattering orgasms. It's, a, it's some kind of haunting, some there's, kind there's of spirit. supernatural at work. Very here. much so. An, an invasive presence, I guess. But now she's seen this one, this one guy who it didn't affect. So now her mission is to find out this guy and why it didn't kill him. While this is all happening, there is a serial killer... Uh, loose in the same town, but who goes by the uh, who's codenamed or called by the public the Stiletto Killer? Stilettos? Stiletto, like the shoe. The or shoe, the knife? yes. Yeah. Where you know they find these girls dead, completely naked, except for a pair of stilettos. Oh. And it actually cuts to him at one scene. I don't remember what he was saying, but it cuts to him like in a big fancy house, sipping on wine, and he looks over, and there's all these girls chained to treadmill, <laughs> treadmills, just running, saying, "We have to stop. We haven't stopped forever. We need water." And he goes, "You'll get water after another twenty miles." So I don't, wow, I don't know what's happening there yet. Yeah, but that intrigued me. It's not good. I was like, man, I've always wanted to chain girls to treadmill. No. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a demographic. A writer that gets me. <laughs> it, there was uh, one point in the comic where uh, the girl is venting to her friend about this and, you know, how it's a curse. And her friend kind of jokes about, well, maybe you could use it as like a superpower. And she kind of scratches her <laughs> chin like, hmm, maybe I could. So that's where I left off. I think you can kind of see that, you know. They wouldn't be introducing the serial killer if he wasn't the antagonist. Uh, I have of the story, to imagine so. at some point they'll cross paths. Off Girl, which she will be codenamed, which will be her alias, I, I would imagine, as it's the name of the comic, is going to somehow use her power of orgasm to stop this villain. I cannot wait to read on and see how this works because having read the first chapter, I sat and thought about it. Like, how could you twist that power into an effective ability to be a superhero? I imagine if we wait, we'll find out. I can't wait to find out. So I tell you what, I've, I've never encountered a concept quite like this one before. I haven't either. And let me, the art is brilliant. Like the See, art is the gorgeous. Thing. It's like when you just go into this cold and describe the story to somebody, it'd be so easy to dismiss it. Like, oh, that sounds like a little trashy. It's t the level of quality and thought that goes into this. It's right. Well worthy of respect. Um, with comics like this, though, that talk that touch on this kind of thing, we've seen comics before in the past that have kind of touched on the erotic uh, kind of it's aspect so easy without being full blown porn. Yeah. But um, it is so easy to stumble. Where when you're tackling that, your art had damn well better be good. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. if you if, if you're drawing someone who's in the throes of an orgasm, like in this comic. And she's cross-eyed, and her proportions aren't looking good. You're like, oh, oh, what is happening? Oh, oh no! <laughs> but if it's a character, you can be like, damn, that girl's orgasm. You know what I mean? <laughs> then that's kind of where this comic falls. That's you know, and that's not uh, poetic. Anything I said there, but I get where you're coming from. It's gorgeous. Check it out. Offgirl.com. Also on Twitter at offgirlhero, and uh, the artist uh, Mark Rayhill is on Twitter at Mark Rayhill. So there you have it. Awesome. There you go.
All right. And then there was one, Wes. Sure. Uh, I, I actually am reading. I, there's one comic book that I read actually every single year, and it's the comic book that made me want to make comics. So every year I just take a little bit of time near the holidays to kind of revisit it. And nice. it's a it's a comic. It's an indie comic from uh, kind of the mid 90s called Scud, the Disposable Assassin. Are you guys familiar? Oh, that wow. Sounds no, but fantastic. it sounds incredible. Okay, so it's this it's this indie black and white comic from from Rob Schraub, who's kind of a comedian. We did a lot of work with uh, Dan Harmon, if you're familiar. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he went on to um, direct some TV, direct some music videos. Is kind of uh, one of those great comedic voices that, that doesn't get enough love, in my opinion. So this is just a really random series that I found in the 90s. Um, the comic book shop that I went to growing up, uh, just having going in there every week, I developed a good relationship with the guys that ran the place. And I remember they recommended it to me one day. And, and I was like, this sounds stupid. Um, it's not Marvel. It doesn't have Spider-Man. It doesn't have Batman. Why would I ever want to read this? And they're like, well, you know, we think you'd like it. So just trust us. So like they gave me a discount on the first issue, took it home. And what it is, it's essentially, it's this crazy comic book about a robot that um, figures out that its only purpose in life is it's it's an assassin and when it kills its primary target it will explode and somebody got it out of a, a vending machine and told it to kill this creature so midway to kill this creature the robot finds out that if he will die if he shoots his target and opts not to so what he does instead is that he mutilates his target puts it in the hospital and then has to take assassin jobs to pay for its medical bills so it doesn't die <laughs> oh wow so, Sounds kind of convoluted, but uh, and I may not have explained it as gracefully as I intended to. But uh, just a really like hyperkinetic, really well drawn, really funny, full of pop culture references. Well, now they're they're all '90s references, uh, but just uh, there. It's just what I imagine. Like is just imagination on the page. It's just not something that you're going to read anywhere else. It was from just a little self published uh, place called Fireman Press. So it's, it's uh, a few years ago, it got collected by Image Comics into this big trade, which is probably about 300 pages. And it's a really quick read, and it's it doesn't take a lot of brain power. But what I really loved and what I took away from it that affected me as a comic book creator is that it's just so much fun. It's just something that only only Rob, the, the writer and the artist, is something that only he could have made. So that's something that I try to kind of do in my own work and something that I've really respected and really look out for. So when I see these, especially these writer artists that, that can just put together these little books in kind of this closed environment, um, I, I find that that's some of the, the best cartooning that comics has to offer. So I'm in the process of, of rereading that for probably the 10th time of, in my entire life or so. I so want to look that I up. I already that love the awesome. concept. Yeah, was it, was, cool. it was called Scud the Disposable Assassin. And it was actually, like, it, it almost hit big. Like, it was briefly made into a video game, I think, that came out on the Sega oh, Genesis. Wow. That's how most people are familiar with it. Uh, but it all started from the comic. It was even optioned as a movie that Oliver Stone was going to do at one point. But it, I don't what? think it, it didn't come together. But it would have been really weird. Um, but that's that's one of the things that I always recommend to people when they say, like, you know, what, what indie comic should I read? Like, what did I miss out on? Like, it's that, and I recommend... Um, you know, I was a big the Tick fan growing up, so those are the two mm. things that that really impacted me. That I try to get everybody to, I try to force on everybody else. <laughs> I cannot wait to read that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm just such a fan of the '90s, being you know the generation that, you know, that '90s era. feel. Yeah, know? and it embodies yeah. that to me. The, the hyper violence, the 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 over accentuated features on yeah i always describe it as a time when no gun had fewer than three barrels <laughs> that yeah they're all like loaded for bear uh, yeah. required Fantastic. two hands yeah, and, yeah yeah 
Awesome. It's not a page goes by where somebody doesn't get shot in the head gratuitously. Beautiful. Right yep. up our alley. Put, put it on the canned air shortlist. <laughs> awesome. I can't wait to look that up. I'm actually going to Google that when we're done. I, I oh, don't yeah. know how that got under my radar. I mean, yeah. if, if, especially if it had a game out, uh, based on it and even possibly a movie. It's like, got the sound of, like, essential reading. How does that get it passed? Does. I, I can't wait it, to look that up. Yeah, it was just it was a little comic. Like, you know, I was surprised that my comic shop even got it because they didn't really do a lot of indie stuff. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things that I try to talk to a lot of people about. And just, like, people either love it or they've just never heard of it. There's just no in-between whatsoever. I've never heard anybody say, like, <laughs> well, I tried, and I, it wasn't for me. It's just it's one extreme or the other. So this wasn't, like, the game came out, which then spawned, like, the promotional comic book? Or are you no. you're sure the comic book, like, was the foundation and then they did all this around it? Yep, yeah, the comic wow, started coming out in the, the early '90s, and then it went it went on hiatus for a really long time. The uh, the the writer artist got I don't know if he battled with depression or something, but he kind of left it on a cliffhanger. And then when Image picked it up to collect it, he actually came back and finished out the series and did I think uh, like another five issues to kind of wrap up the whole story. So when you read it, it kind of has this big gap in the middle that was a really crazy cliffhanger. Um, but then you, you can buy it in kind of an omnibus that has the entire story from front to back. And it's, you know, you look at it and it's really silly. It's really cartoony, but, it, you know, it actually is very, very emotional. I mean, there's a really great um, overlying relationship that runs through it. I mean, you basically see this artist go through like a really horrible breakup on the page. Like it's just it's really it's it's totally art. It, it's a very much, you know, it's somebody taking their psyche and putting it on the page with which I think is fascinating. Man, you have Can't sold wait. that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Now, with all that behind us, let's just turn our full attention over to Wes Loker and talk about Unit 44. Thanks so much for being here with us again, Wes. Yeah. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to chat about my ridiculous comic book. Oh, it's That's not ridiculous. I love here, the is. concept. I mean, two guys forget to pay the rent and lose all these valuable stuff in a storage war sale. Even like the Cliff Notes version it. of the plot, I was just like, "Yep, no, that's good. This is what I need." You know, it's just, yeah. this is hitting all the notes. Yeah, that's what you go for. I mean, you should, it's to me, you should always be able to sell your story in as few words as possible. And I thankfully have had some practice, like going to conventions, and you know, you have about. 20 seconds to, to nab somebody's attention before they move to the next table. So, you know, being able to tell people that it's a story about inept Area 51 employees who forget to pay the rent on their storage unit and the secret contents are sold at public auction is quick. It usually makes them laugh. And then you can say, well, you know, you thought that that was funny. That was that was five seconds. You know, imagine now 88 pages of that. And it's usually something where people say, oh, you're right. That sounds like a great deal. And they grab it and they go and hopefully they come back the next day and say it was fantastic. I had a hell of a lot of fun with Absolutely. it. I mean, it's, uh, it's, I'm going to let you explain it first before I start gushing on to you about it, what I think about it. So if you could explain to our listeners what Unit 44 is. Sure. So, so like I said, it's, you know, it's about these Area 51 employees that, that lose the contents of the storage unit. And what happens is that uh, an alien invasion ends up threatening Earth. And these two bumbling idiots, Agent Gibson and Agent Hatch, uh, they soon quickly learn that the only way to stop the alien invasion is by recovering an item that was in the sold storage unit, which is now in the hands of a couple of small-town rednecks who have no idea what they've stumbled into. So they get caught up in the middle of, of aliens versus the government um, as everybody kind of has their own agenda as far as, as getting these items back. The, the rednecks think that they can just sell this stuff on eBay and make a ton of money. Meanwhile, the fate of humanity is really at stake. 
where did this concept even come to you? Like, how did you, like, were you watching, like, Storage Wars? But, oh, 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 hey. Yeah. It, it strikes me as the kind <laughs> oh, you of thing were? where it, I like, was. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, um, I, Holy I, shit. Put on, I win, yeah, Jake. I put it, yeah, I mean, the, and I wish I could, like, pretend like there was this great story that went along with it, but really that was the gist of it is that, um, one day my wife and I were just kicked on the TV and we were looking for something to watch, and I heard about Storage Wars, and I kind of thought that the, the concept was silly, and, um, so we turned on the very first episode, and about, I don't know, two minutes into it, like, just when they were doing the first auction, it just kind of hit me. I'm like, I, I turned to my wife and I said, you know, what would happen if, you know, somebody bought a storage unit and inside was, you know, some major secret, like, you know, who killed Kennedy or some, the plans to Area 51 and, and this and that. And I just started listing off things. And then immediately I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is the perfect story idea. So I, I remember we actually stopped the episode and I went into the other room, grabbed a notebook and just started writing. Uh, I don't even know that I ever came back and watched another episode of Storage Wars ever. So <laughs> like, it, awesome. like I took from it what I needed and then kind of went off on my mission. Hey, if it only took the one, then why yeah. bother? Inspiration struck. Yeah, no, I, it's a great feeling when that happens. And that is, fa- I was going to say, the concept seems mind. like one of those things that's like so brilliant. You know, it wasn't overthought because mm-hmm. I feel like the ideas that like really grab you hit you really suddenly. You kind of have to stop what you're doing. And it sounds like that's precisely what happened. You're just like, oh, shit, this is a cool idea. You know? And yeah, it just... yeah you, you know, when you get excited and that's all you want to think about and, and do is work on that. Like, you know that you're onto something. Of course, my initial con- – my fear with everything that I come up with is if I have a great idea, I think about, like, oh, you know, who's already done this? Like, where am I ripping this off from? What movie did I see that I forgot and it has this exact same plot? So the first thing I typically do is, like, I go to Google and I'll type in all the keywords and see what comes up. And, you know, sometimes you realize that you've actually just rewritten Highlander. But sometimes you realize <laughs> that, you know, your idea is actually original. And then you can kind of move forward on it and not not be scared that you're just regurgitating something that you've ingested and not really known it. Right. Yeah. You know, as and that happens. Like, I've had that happen to me. Like, it's, uh, it's a weird, it's a very modern kind of pitfall well, like writing yeah. music like i'll like get a song idea in my head but oh my god i love that i love that chord progression i'll sit down and work it out on piano like, okay i gotta get this in the computer you spend all this time working on it and they'll be like bro come you gotta hear this, this. is Freebird. she yeah. hears it yeah. Goes, oh yeah i love this song i'm like oh god <laughs> <laughs> damn it you know it, and it's a horrible feeling you just you feel your soul get crushed yeah. a little bit like, like oh i guess i wasn't cool and original and brilliant <laughs> like i thought a few minutes ago yeah it's a sucky feeling it's, but it's it happens so i mean in this day and age too it's like we consume so much media i mean you may yeah. have only watched like 20 minutes of like some Netflix show before you turned it off, but something in there may have, you know, you may be stealing from and not even realize it. Or, you know, you go to write a song and, and maybe it's not a hit song, but you realize later, oh, it's the soundtrack to the video game that you were playing. It's like, we just have so much input nowadays that it's hard to tell where everything really comes from. I just had that happen to me the other day. I was going through some old files on my computer and like, t- like if I was ever playing guitar and stumbled upon a little lick that I enjoy, I'll set my camera up real quick, you know, aimed at my guitar neck and, play it once so I have it on film I can come back to it and I don't forget mm-hmm. it and I found uh, one of those videos that was a tune that had been pointed out to me as being another song and I just I, like almost it almost happened to me again like I heard it like I forgot about this I yeah. like this this sounds good <laughs> oh shit you know yep. but yeah it's a it's a sucky feeling but it happens if you're a creator it happens but hey when inspiration strikes you at least have to see where it's taken you you really do and it's awesome to hear you say that you 
like the tick earlier in this episode because <laughs> there is a huge kind of a tick aesthetic <laughs> to this book. You know, it's a it's it's a comedy uh, kind of it's a comedy book, right? I mean, I mean, how else yeah. would you describe it? I don't. It's, yeah, I tell people to sci-fi comedy. Sci-fi comedy. Thank you. I wanted to make sure Two I put the correct label that on. Taste great together. Correct. My but <laughs> sci-fi comedy that does have a have a similar kind of a tick kind of humor to it. But it's also something that with the art, the way it looks, the way it plays out, it would make a great TV show or a series, you know, like a new Netflix series, Unit 44. That'd be awesome. Watch it. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, we always kind of designed it as, as like a, my, myself and the artist Ed Jimenez. We approached it as if we were making kind of like a Saturday morning cartoon that we would want to watch. Yeah, and you so can I'm, totally I'm glad that you say that. That that radiates off the page. Oh, that's yeah. the feel I totally got reading and it. I think that's probably my favorite thing about like this current decade, this generation of comic fans making comics, is you can see that what people create, it's seasoned with the things they love. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it makes everything else so much more because everything feels personal because you can connect to it too. It's just so mm-hmm. awesome to read something and feel like you're on the same page. Right. And I totally get that feel with this. It's got all the things that I loved when I was younger, when I was growing up, what what influenced my interests in entertainment. And to see it all distilled into this new form, it's, uh, I don't know. It's fantastic. I know what you That's mean. That's awesome. So do you uh, take uh, Unit 44 to any conventions at all? Yeah, I've taken it to, to quite a few. Back when it was in, we released the issues. We kind of self-published them before we, we actually had the graphic novel that's out now from Alterna Comics. So uh, I've been pushing it in one way or another since about 2015. So it's it's been really cool to see. Um, you know, even when I was just out there and I had maybe the first two issues, people would come back to get the third and ultimately the fourth. And, and now with the graphic novel, it's so much more convenient because you can you can sell it to people in one go. It's a really good price point. Um, and, and people, it seems like graphic novels are kind of getting a, a resurgence as far as the, the convention world. You see a lot fewer yeah. single issue floppies and a little bit more graphic novels. And, you know, that's the type of thing that I look for. I'd like to get a feel for people's work. I don't feel like I can necessarily, you know, understand the creator, what they're going for. If I only get 22 pages, I try to get as sure. much as possible. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's probably the book that I sell the most of at every single convention that I do. I just did one a couple weeks ago um, and just, you know, person after person just coming by and, and laughing at it. And I actually put up a big sign, uh, something I'd never done before, but just kind of having the graphic novel and wanting it to make a splash. I put up a big sign that said it is, you know, Unit 44 is the X-Files as a sitcom. And that really drew in a lot of people. Like people were like, "Oh, I love the X Files." And then I said, "Well, do you like to laugh?" And they say, "Oh, I love to laugh." And I said, "Do you like to laugh at the X Files?" I would love to. And you know, it's just you know, you just kind of work people in. You kind of play off their enthusiasm, get them excited, and then once you're telling them about what the story is, and they're flipping through and they're seeing the art, it all kind of clicks together. And, and I feel like, um, especially right now, people seem to really want to laugh again. For a long time, I was kind of frustrated with conventions and comics in general because everything was was very dark and gritty and everything had to be street level and and real. And and I feel like now just with the state of the world, people kind of want more of an escape. And I feel glad that that not only Unit 44, but a couple of the other comics that I sell, too, um, they can kind of offer that a little bit more. So that's been interesting to see. It's funny you say that because... um... I think what a lot of people within the last year year or two are finding out that Comic Cons actually have comic books in them. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, incredible. These things get watered down with uh, you know your vendors, your celebrities, your shows, your panels. You know, it just becomes like a celebrity meet and greet. And yeah. you know, there would be so many times like when we first started doing this and going to our first cons. 
you'd see artists just sitting there just trying to get attention. And this past year has been quite the contrary. I mean, we've been elbow to elbow, uh, you know, with people in Artist Alley at both Wizard World conventions we did. And and I hope it continues trending in that direction. Well, I think it will. You know, people are seeing this is where good stories come from. I mean, you know, half if not more of the stuff we're watching in the theaters and on television, the most popular stuff all comes from comic books. And that's not, well, I mean, a lot of, you know, the movies obviously are the big two, but I don't know if you're wanting to get into comics and you go to the big two right now, I think you're kind of going to be pushed toward the independent, the image kind of way. Now they're really just selling comics to sell movie tickets. Yeah. Well, everyone's minds open to so much more now than I think, uh, they used to yeah. be. And you know, for like something I think of is just off the wall stuff, I mean. Yeah, yeah. And you go to a convention, what's the better interaction you're going to have? A completely cold, impersonal, four second signing slash handshake <laughs> with a celebrity who right. frankly doesn't care if you live or die, or like a full on enriching conversation with a creator right. who's passionate not only about their creation, but about getting you interested in it. Yeah. You know? Not only that, though, but like. As much as like we we love going down Artist Alley, in those early days, it was like make sure you keep your eyes to the ground and then only (laughs) look at something you're really into because it was like um, walking down an aisle of uh, you know starving people. Everyone hands out, no, come come to me, no, come to me, come to me, and you know it's like oh my god, run, you know, a guy who's already (laughs) taken a loss for the candy dish he put on the table. But I, I didn't see that at all this year. Not at all. Like at the yeah. everyone's engaged with somebody, you can freely come and go. You're not being, you know, pulled one way or the other. It was much more relaxed. I, I just love that that's happening to the indie uh, scene now, and it's it's just a great time to be an indie it's comic creator. It's a good time. It is, and and I've kind of seen that as well. I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I did a convention. I used to live in Florida up until about a year ago. And I did a big, con- the biggest convention in Orlando, and uh, you know, big celebrities, you know, all the the wrestlers and stuff. These people that I don't know why they're there to start with, but I had so many right. people that like, walked past my table, and you know, I would try to tell them about my books, and they would be like, "Oh, I don't read comics." I'm like, yeah. okay, oh, you know, you're at you- a comic con, asshole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it was like, you know, do you want to start? No, not really. Okay, well, you know, thanks for thanks for playing anyway. And then the other thing that that really gets me is that. You know, paying so much for a table and, you know, you're there to because it's your business and you're there to not only make money, hopefully, but, you know, make your table money and your gas money back. But you're trying to get your name out there. And then you find that suddenly somebody that's dressed up as Deadpool has decided that your table is going to be their official photo booth for the next 45 minutes. And then nobody can even get to your product. So there's a lot of, you know, bigger issues that I, I see in that type of big situation. But um, I actually did the convention that I just did a couple weeks ago was only comics. It was a small press show in uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, and it was the best show that I've probably done in the last year and a half. Just the really? amount of that were out there um, just to support art and were really interested in comics. I had people that would come up to the table and and look at the product and, and maybe buy, maybe not, but they would all come back and you know some some people wanted to be artists, some people wanted to be writers, and they would just ask advice like, hey, how do I get you know, to where you are. Cause I, you know, I, I kind of have a, a nice spread. I tend to have somewhere between like 
eight and 10 books at every convention that I do. And, and people see that and they say, well, you know, maybe I can learn something. You know, this is something I'm passionate about. I like to read. I'd like to try my hand at writing, you know, and, and they just ask advice or they ask how to find an artist or they ask how to print a book. And, you know, just that type of interaction is really fun because um, it's it's a lot of hard work. And if making comics was easy, everybody would do it. <laughs> um, but if but if I can, you know, give some advice that might help somebody kind of, you know, take that next step or get over fear or give them the confidence that they can find somebody that will draw their story. Like I'm all for that. You know, I think we need more creativity and more art anyway. So just having those interactions is, is a ton of fun for me too. Yeah. And it, it, I'm, I'm glad to see it come back around because I was really worried there for a while. It's like, these are just going to become meet and greet cons. They're going to totally cut the comics out of comic con, you know? Yeah. And on the contrary, it doesn't look like that's going to be happening anytime soon. Yeah. And some of those bigger shows, you know, it's like you do three, you know, four days at some now and, and it's it's hard work. You know, you're standing there on, on hard concrete and you're oh, yeah. counting on people to come by. And, and what I have found is that some of the times the smaller shows are, are the better shows at this point. So I, I'm kind of focusing a little bit more on that here in the coming year. Yeah. Well, you know, shows like you had mentioned there and the, the one here in Columbus. Are, are you in Columbus, Ohio? No, I'm uh, I'm up in Worcester, Ohio, outside of Akron. Oh, okay. Well, we we've got a con around here called Space Con, small uh, comic and or small press and comic. Uh, I can't remember what the E's for, but small <laughs> Expo. and Expo. Comic. That's it. Yes, that's it. Yeah, Thank and you. Cephalopathy. <laughs> Running on half a battery here tonight, but um, is that a good convention? It is a good convention for uh, indie artists. In- These are people who right. have come to explore and find yes. new comics and that's that's where you want to be you it's know? like that's quality over quantity you you get a smaller group of people but it's a group of people with the intent that you want them to have so Absolutely. yeah yeah, for yeah sure. it's, it's nice it's nice to be able to try to sell comics to people who actually read comics it's you know otherwise <laughs> it's like trying to you know get a blind person to go watch a movie it's not the easiest thing in the world yeah well, i guess i can listen to it but i don't <laughs> <Yeah>. know <laughs> try out these stylish sunglasses <laughs> right right oh uh, well uh so i saw on unit 44 comic it looks like people can uh check it out and purchase the book is there anywhere else they can get it yeah, the, the graphic novel is available on Amazon.com. I think um, I think it's on BarnesandNoble.com. You can get it directly from our publisher at Alterna Comics. Uh, it's available digitally on Comixology. Uh, it's on my web store at westloker.com. I will s- draw and scribble and write and deface a copy for you and put it in the mail. Um, there's really no excuse not to have it at this point. So it'd be easier just to probably name places that uh, don't have it rather than do. It you seems can't like pick everyone's it up got at PetSmart. It. Yeah, it's, yeah not in, it's not on QBC. Martha Stewart does not have it. You're not going to find it at Taco Bell. But you're in talks yeah. with the Oprah Book Club, as I understand. So given enough time. She won't return my calls, oddly enough. <sighs> what an asshole. I know. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Wes, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a blast. And I want to just recommend to our audience again, go to unit44comic.com. And you are on Twitter with uh, two different handles, right? Yeah, we. I'm on there at West Loker, which is just kind of my personal, and then also Unit Forty Four Comics, which is kind of the official Twitter feed of the book, where we like to put uh, reviews, links to buy it. Um, when people say really nice things, we retweet it. When people say really mean things, we retweet it. Uh, we're pretty open opportunity. Awesome. I respect that. Well, yeah. We're going to be helping you uh, push the word out and uh, retweeting and posting and all that happy stuff to get that the name will. and the word I'm out. I'm excited. Well, I appreciate the the extra work. It. 
if uh, every retweet you know reaches thousands of people, so we're thankful whenever people will take a second and just click that button. Oh, hell, we know precisely we, what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, we're as hungry for those tweets as you are, my yeah. friend. Totally, totally. Well, thanks so much, Wes. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Jake, what do we have on the website? Well, guys, you should probably check out our website, where you can find all of our free episodes, uh, as well as a link to our Patreon, where various levels of donation will get you plenty of cool rewards. Uh, also, have <laughs> nice. a look at our special guest page, where we've got some of the most interesting and or unobtainable figures throughout our past that we've been lucky enough to, uh, to bump into or interview for a time. Uh, have a look at our YouTube. Lots of fun videos. More on the way, as per usual. If you like merchandise, and I know you do, go to society6.com forward slash candarepod. And once more, our Instagram is at candarepod, and our Twitter is at canned underscore air. Yeah, we just put a episode two of Candar Movie Riffs up did. for the world to watch. It's his voyage to the prehistoric planet. It's a project we thought we had lost. And then when I was digging through some files on my computer, found an exported first draft of the movie so it's a miracle it's not what i would have typically released as a final product it's got some jokes i would have cut in some places it has too many jokes but overall i think it's pretty damn good I so, so i decided so to go please ahead and enjoy our silver medal voyage to the prehistoric planet <laughs> it's uh, better than nothing no i think it's i no, think it's, it competes like with it the, the other one i think it's pretty darn good so uh, again in the style of mystery science theater 3000 if you like that you're gonna love this check it out but I think that's going to do it uh, for this week. Uh, this is the last episode before the Christmas episode. That it is. Next week we're doing another What If installment for Christmas. What if Santa Claus actually was real? What a terrifying world that would be. What would that mean for the world? What if he had been discovered this Christmas? What, how would the world react? How would the government react? We're going to explore all those uh, questions and answer them for you right here. On Candare. But I think that's going to do it for this week. So until next time, I'm Jeremy Colley. I'm Jake Runyon. I'm Wes Loker. Thanks for listening, everyone. there's a fire in your house, be sure to get outside immediately. And once outside, get on CandarePodcast.com. Well, thanks for the tip, Blowtorch, but just one question. What about the fire? And no one is half the battle. G.I. Joe! I really thought like I was onto something there. Wow, what a what a horrible, heartbroken feeling this is. To have been given so much hope and then have it taken away just moments after. Yeah, well. When it's freshest. Welcome to Candare. <laughs> I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. 
Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.